Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guests this week are Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone. Odds are you already know one of those names. Melissa McCarthy is what we like to call in the business a comedy superstar. She had unforgettable parts in Bridesmaids, Gilmore Girls, The Heat, Spy. Ben is her husband and creative partner. The two of them met when they were members of the Groundlings Theater in Los Angeles. They've been performing together on stage and on screen for almost 20 years. When I talked with Melissa and Ben in 2014, they'd just collaborated on their first feature-length film, Tammy. Falcone co-wrote and directed the movie. It turned out to be a solid formula. Together, the two have made five movies. The latest is Thunder Force, a superhero comedy which was released earlier this year. In Tammy, Melissa plays the title character, a Midwestern woman whose life is a mess. So she goes on a road trip with her alcoholic grandmother in an attempt to get out of her hometown for good. Here's a clip from one of the inciting incidents, Tammy getting fired from her fast food job. Her boss in this scene is played by Falcone. Oh, and one visual thing you might miss listening to the clip. At the end, yes, she is flipping him off. Tammy? I'm terminating your employment at Topper Jacks, and I need your badge. What badge? You mean my name tag? Yes, exactly. I need your badge. I need your badge back. It's not a badge. It's a name tag, and you made me buy it with my own money. That's company policy. I need it back. Well, I need you to stop sweating through your shirts and grossing everybody out. It is hot, and when it's hot, people sweat. It's how it is. Tammy, you have already been fired. I have already terminated your employment. You are at least 40 seconds fired, so please... Exit the Topper Jacks. Fine. You know what? I'm gonna give you this. Tammy. I got it here. It's your middle finger. Nope. Poom. Read between the lines. I knew that you were gonna do it, Tammy, so it's not as good. I get it, Tammy. Poom, you get that? What is that? Little version of this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So, Melissa, I read that you are a wig collector. I am. I have a real fondness for a wig. It started uh, even even before The Groundlings, but uh, The Groundlings really sealed the deal. The theater, sketch improv theater that we belong to in Los Angeles, just uh, every new wig was like a whole new person I'd get to meet. So I I became kind of an addict. How how many live at your house? A bunch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot, you know. I left most of them when we finally stepped down from the groundlings. I probably donated about fifty. Yeah, but that was almost. I sort of ran intervention. I was like, "Look, you're not using them right now. You can always come back and ask for them back." True, true. And not my my own free will. I left them, but I probably took ten home. <laughs> but then every movie, every single movie starts with the wig. I go. The second, the second I, I have a part, I go and I look for a wig, and it starts the whole process. I, uh, I also read somewhere that you lost a wig at the bottom of a lake during the filming of Tammy, and I thought, well, that would hurt extra bad for a wig enthusiast. 
It hurt. It hurt on so many levels because you know we didn't have a huge budget for Tammy, and those wigs are, you know, these are not the wigs I wore in the theater, which were you know fifty bucks, thirty bucks. Uh, this was like a five six thousand dollar wig, and on our safety test run for the jet ski, I flipped myself off at it about forty miles an hour and ripped my wig. And it was pinned. We had probably 30, 40 pins crossed in it. So you couldn't have pulled it off with your bare hands. And yet I hit that water so hard. There's a wig. There's a Tammy wig at the bottom of a Wilmington lake. Yeah. North Carolina ate a wig. (laughs) Um, Melissa, can you tell me a little bit about what you were like in high school? You grew up with folks that commuted to... Uh, commuted to Chicago for work, but you actually lived on a farm, right? I did. We, my dad grew up on the south side of Chicago, and he wanted to raise, you know, his kids outside of the city. He, so, and my mom was kind of a was more of a farm girl from a little town about you know an hour and a half south of Chicago. So once once they started having kids, they moved out to Plainfield, and we they rented this ho- farmhouse on a corn and soybean farm. And my, my mom, my dad commuted every day of his career into Chicago, about, you know, probably an hour. And uh, and my, my mom, though, worked closer. She just worked in Plainfield or in Joliet, another little close town. But, uh, yeah, grew up, grew up, you know, way out, about three miles outside of town, gravel roads, barns, a strange amount of cats. What was it like for you when you were in high school? In high school, I was pretty... Uh, you know, I was I, I I I was pretty active. I, I I played tennis. I was really really into tennis. Very competitive with tennis. I was a cheerleader. And I did student council and I had lots of friends. And then somewhere like the end of sophomore year, I I kind of just started thinking, what's going on in Chicago? What's going on outside of this little tiny little town where we do the same football game every week and the same this and it's the same people. And next thing I know, I was going out downtown Chicago, listening to music and, you know, dancing at clubs and just really having a fun time. And, you know, it changed my whole style. I kind of dropped out of things and I started, I got very gothic and very punk. Ben, you're also from Illinois. How does all of this compare with what you were like in high school? I was, uh, let's see, I, you know, I wasn't a, you know, goth. I grew up in Carbondale, Illinois, which is a little town in the in the southern part of Illinois, a uh, little Egypt area, apparently, which I have no idea why it's uh, that is what it's <laughs> called. You know, I I wasn't trying to make a statement or anything. I just was sort of, you know, just one of the one of the gang or or something like that. When the two of you met in Groundlings, did you immediately recognize some sort of essential Illinoisness? We had to do an opening, like, you know, exercise, like a get-to-know-you thing, which are actually good in classes. They're horrifying when you're in a circle and, like, oh, my gosh, I have to say something. But, you know, she – but it's good because then everyone – the weird part is out of the way first. And so she says, you know, I went to school in a place that nobody ever heard of. It's called Carbondale. And, you know, so then it was cool for me because, you know, six people later I could say, actually, I'm from Carbondale, you know. <laughs> I, di- I knew. Um, so she not yeah, only yeah. did I notice, but <laughs> she literally said her Illinoisness. So um, I didn't have to be a detective. Yeah, I, when I went to Carbondale, I went to SIU for college, and I'm, I'm three years older than Ben, so he's still in high school. And the band, uh, the, the house that we would go to every single weekend to listen to bands playing in the basement – 
it is and was directly across the street from Ben's house where he was living. Yeah. So 10 years before I met him, I literally spent every weekend listening to like weird local punk bands in this in this house. Yeah, well the the punk band that played there every week was called Diet Christ. <laughs> <laughs> And my parents, you know, of course, my parents, they moved into like this sort of a student, you know, neighborhood and they, but they didn't know when they bought the house that they were neck, they were across the street from the lost cross house is what it's called for some reason. And, you know, it was where diet Christ played every, every week. And I was there listening. Yep. And then she was there with, you know, blue hair and, you know, loving the music, I guess. Do you remember, Ben, your first impression of Melissa when, when you met her? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I remember right away I thought she was pretty and I thought she seemed really nice. And then she um, – the very first day we had to do, you know, monologues and she, in my opinion, did the, the funniest one. And I just – right off the bat, I was like, oh my gosh, I – I hope we can hang out. And then we first, you know, our seats were next to each other. So that was great. And I, I remember feeling like, you know, right off the first day that we were, we were kind of in cahoots, not in a, like a clicky way. Like I didn't want to meet other people in the class or anything, but I just felt like, um, I had kind of a, a fun partner to go through this class with. And then, you know, it, what was great was, uh, we just got closer and closer every day from, from then. What about you, Melissa? Do you remember? I do. I remember the first day, I know you had to go up and do your, you know, do a monologue and then we're going to improvise later. And every everybody kind of, you know, it's the first day of class. It's the third level of Groundlings. And I think everybody wanted to really bring the thunder and show their big, crazy character. And everyone, including myself, went, you know, big and it had, it was all the, you know, things were loud and characters were crazy. And then Ben pulled up a chair, and I don't even know if anyone else had sat. Like, even that seemed different. And he sat, and he did the quietest, like, soft-spoken inmate, and it was so creepy. And almost, like, just walking the line of, is it creepy or is it funny? And, of course, it really made me laugh, but it made everyone kind of lean forward and really have to listen and I just thought it was really interesting that he he didn't do what everybody else did. He didn't he didn't feel the need to like demand like command attention through you know his volume or craziness. Yeah, and but for me, I was probably just really nervous, and I felt like <laughs> if I stand, I could pass out. I mean, I'll just you know I'll sit, and then you know I was probably too scared to yell. I'll just be quiet, and <laughs> maybe I'll just get through this first one. Even more with Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone still to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Fidelity Wealth Management. VP Dylan Sanders shares why it's important to understand clients' values. People quantify dreams differently. So it's essential to be able to sit with a client and listen and ask questions and just begin to understand what it is in their life that they want to pursue and help them create a roadmap to get there. To learn more, go to fidelity.com slash wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. The economy is changing so fast right now, and sometimes it seems like there's something new to worry about every day. On The Indicator from Planet Money, we bring you human stories and easy-to-understand explanations to help you make sense of these crazy times. All in just 10 minutes a day. That's The Indicator from Planet Money. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. 
My guests are Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone. The husband and wife duo just made the new superhero comedy, Thunder Force. I want to play a clip of my guests, Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy, in the movie Bridesmaids. Um, so Melissa is one of the uh, one of the bridesmaids, and uh, all of them are together on this airplane to Las Vegas. And she sits down next to Ben Falcone, her real life husband, but in in the movie, a, a character we haven't seen before. And uh, yeah, so he's he's totally he's uh, entirely a stranger to her, and and this is just right when she sits down. No carry-on, huh? No. Yeah, I noticed. I know she didn't put anything in the overhead bin either. And I get it. I get it. I want you to know, uh, protect and serve, air marshal style. What? I don't want to fringe on your privacy, man. I just, um, I really appreciate what you do for this country. And I respect the hell out of you. That's great. Not an air marshal. I'm going to take a nap. Awesome. Cool. I'll take the first watch. I'm not an air marshal. There's no, you don't need to take a watch. Okay. I've got the first watch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, boy. I mean, a lot of folks have seen Bridesmaids and, and know the <laughs> levels of vulgarity that it goes to from there. That's the part we can play on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> sure. At what point did the two, at the, what, what point were the two of you romantically involved in addition to working together? About, what, about a year? Yeah. A year after we met. I think we're afraid to, you know, we, we'd become kind of best friends, and I think we were a little a little nervous to screw that up, but about a year in, we, yeah. were, we were dating. We decided we would risk it. Were, were you already working on Gilmore Girls by then, Melissa? No, not yet. I, 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 I feel like it was... You were doing production work at that time. Yeah. It's such a funny thing because you were so lovely on Gilmore Girls, and um, oh, your character on that show is so far from the characters that you become famous for playing in movies, which is to say that she is very sweet and uh, turns inward on herself and falls apart um, when stuff when stuff goes crazy. Um, and I wonder, like, uh, I, I wonder to what extent you are someone who wants to face challenges by going big and to what extent you're someone who wants to face challenges by, uh, you know, turning inward? I don't know. I'm, I, personally, I think I'm, I'm probably a little of both. I am no way, no way near as bold as the characters I've been playing lately. I think that's the fun of playing them for me. I, I do not kick a door in and kind of take over a room and, you know, yell at people. I that is not, not my style at all. That would all. be tricky in our house for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, our kids would, would never go for it anyway. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm probably more uh, reflective of, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? I'm, you know, I bounce everything off of Ben and, and uh, so I, pr- I probably go a lot smaller with, with my reactions than people would expect. I, I feel like the perfect example of you going totally ape um, <laughs> is this scene. You had a relatively small part in This Is 40, the Judd Apatow film. Yes. And um, this is like as much of it as we can play, even with oh, bleeps reasonably. 
Um, but uh, basically, the, the leads in the movie are Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, and they're a married couple, and they get called into the principal's office uh, for a meeting with your character because um, they have had some beef with your character over their uh, the, the three characters' respective children. So um, this is you in a meeting with Paul Rudd and, and Leslie Mann and the principal. Your son has been defiling my daughter's Facebook page now for months. These people are liars. He said that my son was an animal and that if I didn't keep him on a leash, that he would hit him with his car. Did you say that? That's, that's ridiculous. Who talks like that? You do. He didn't say that. All right, he you said know, it to no, me. What I said was that we need to keep an extra eye on our kids because with all the technological advances, uh, they need to learn to use them responsibly. No, no, what he, what he said to me was he called me an I What? Language, Catherine, language. I'm quoting. How am I going to relay what these two nutballs said to me unless I say it? Can you please not talk like that, Catherine? Music Man is rehearsing next door. Sorry, f- Music Man. <gasps> None of this talk is productive. I would like to rear up and jackknife my legs and kick you both in the f- jaw with my foot bone. You're just really scaring me. This is what happens when you corner a rat. You corner me, I will f- chew through you. I'll chew through you. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my God. There's a version of that that plays over the credits that's just a solid four or five minute take <laughs> of that. And it only gets more profane it, and intense. It just gets terrible. It's I When I watched that, I didn't know Judd was going to keep all that stuff in the end. Uh and when I actually finally watched it, I, I had little to no memory of the horrible things I had said. <laughs> it was like watching it and hearing it for the first time. I was completely horrified. Yeah, I remember she came home and, and I said, how was, you know, today? And she said, oh, I, it, was, it was really fun. And then I, I said, well, what? what? You know, because she was obviously not saying one something. <laughs> and she said, well, right at the end, I mean, I was, they were encouraging me. I, I think I... You know, and everyone seemed to think it was fine, but I was just saying such horrible things. <laughs> I feel bad. And I was like, well, no, it's your, it wasn't you. It was a, you know, it's a character. And then she said, yeah, I just don't even remember what I said. <laughs> There's an amazing scene in Tammy, which uh, has been uh, is I think I think it's in the uh, trailer as well, where you your character, Tammy, is pumping herself up to rob a fast food store. I want to play a clip which immediately follows this wild – it's sort of like a where the wild things are, let the wild rumpus start type situation <laughs> yeah. um, in this montage set to Macklemore, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And you immediately are slammed into this uh, robbery scene and it's quickly revealed that despite the best of intentions or the worst of intentions, this character Tammy who's you know doesn't have anything in her life together – certainly doesn't have together how to rob a fast food outlet. <laughs> no. No. And so this is her um, holding up the two people that work there, one of whom is sort of a younger lady, one of whom is a kind of, uh, you know, a, a, like an old retired guy. Semi-retired, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-retired. Don't get sassy. Okay. Sorry. Okay? Yeah. Just get pie. You want some pies? I like pie. Well, get get a pile for you. Get a pile for, for you. Change your attitude. I'd like to give you some pies on me. No, that's okay. Thanks. I don't care for him. So what, what did we just talk about? Okay. I have a gun on yep. you. I offered you pie. Mm-hmm. He likes pies. He's got a gun to his face. Anything I say, he's going to like. I ask you, you want some pies? I like pies. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. 
All right, put a stack of pies for her, a stack of pies for me. Put... I think this is all of it. Just get over there. Go, don't walk right toward the gun. I'm sorry. Put pies in there. Put them in. Don't, cr don't creep up on me like that. Larry, seriously. You like apple? I do like apple, but don't make me, I don't want to have to choose between you. Just My... Larry. Larry, she's telling me to take you out. I'm a veteran. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, uh, this movie wasn't one that you originally were going to direct, especially by yourself. No, no. Were you scared to direct it? Um, you know, I was nervous. Uh, I, you know, we we had these conversations with kind of these amazing directors that just couldn't do it because of scheduling. And then, you know, Melissa and I uh, talked to Toby Emmerich, the head of New Line, and we just basically asked, like, you know, we'd seen our friend Tate Taylor, who d directed The Help, which I really loved as a movie. And um, then our friends Jim Rash and Nat Faxon directed uh, The Way, Way Back, which, you know, I, I loved again. So I just, almost by seeing my friends do it, I got more confident, or, or at least Melissa and I started thinking, well, it's possible. It's possible, you know, that we've seen people do it that we know and respect, and maybe we could do it. So we asked Toby, and he said, you know, let me think about it. Um, and then he did, and he got back to us, and he said, do you want to do it? And then, you know, because of scheduling, Melissa really couldn't uh, do it. So I, so I did it. We'll finish up with Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy after a break. We'll talk about what it was like working with Kathy Bates, the legend. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, with no limit on how much you can earn. It's amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash match. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Hello, I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And we host Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. Every week, we share media that made us who we are. Things like Archie Comics, Sailor Moon, and lots of Taylor Swift. And now that Riley's an adult, it comes with 100% more butts. And now I am totally comfortable with it. So check out new episodes of Still Buffering every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Butts, butts, butts. Join in, Riley. Butts, 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 butts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone. They've been married since 2005. They've been collaborators in comedy for even longer. When I talked with them in 2014, they had just made their first movie, Tammy, which starred McCarthy and was directed by Falcone. Since then, they've gone on to make Life of the Party, Super Intelligence, and the brand new superhero comedy Thunder Force, which also stars Octavia Spencer. Let's get back into our conversation. There's a character in the movie played by Kathy Bates. And this is a movie with a totally amazing performance from Susan Sarandon, who plays um, who plays the title character's grandmother and is totally great. 
Uh, yeah. But Kathy yeah. Bates like s- steals the movie. Um, and sh- she plays a-, a friend of the grandmother who's partners with another character played by Sandra Oh. And they kind of show up at their big fancy mansion and they say, well, have you ever been to a lesbian 4th of July party? And um, and they say no. And then this lesbian 4th of July party is kind of the big is the big centerpiece of the movie. And right. yes. first of all, can you tell me if it was to what extent it was an advised choice that it was that it was a lesbian couple that you chose to be? the people in this movie that are the kind of the people who have their feelings together and also how you ended up with these two people and Sandra Oh and, and Kathy Bates and, and what they brought to those characters. You know, we, um, six years ago when we started writing this, uh, Lenore in our hope of hopes was always Kathy Bates. We wrote it for her. I, I, don't think either one of us actually thought she would ever see it or look at it or certainly do it. No. But when we referred to it, sometimes we would say Lenore and sometimes we'd say sometimes Kathy. Sometimes we called her Kathy, yeah. And she was Kathy for a long time until we named her Lenore. And it was 100% in our brains that it, if if we had some kind of sorcerer's wand, Kathy Bates would do it. And as for the fact, you know, to, to ca- make them a lesbian couple, I, I don't know that... You know, we ever thought too much about it. We just wanted to create a couple that was, you know, sort of who, when Tammy's, you know, going, learning, you know, and growing up, we wanted to sort of put put people in there that are the people that Tammy could strive to be more like. And when we thought about a combination of, you know, uh, Kathy Bates and Sandra Oh, I mean, that just seemed, they seemed like such graceful, great people. And when they were portraying their relationship, the love was so evident and so great that I feel like, you know, it's just one one more element of Tammy growing up and saying, oh my gosh, like I could look at these two. They're so happy. I could have that in my life if I would let that happen, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, well, I don't think we ever, I know we did. I know we never really had a discussion that why we were making, you know, making them lesbians. It just kind of, it just kind of organically came about. There's a there's a moment in the film where, um, without getting too too specific, Kathy Bates kind of head on addresses the conflict for Tammy, which is that she, you know, she she is she is to that point been kind of incapable of appreciating and um, uh, supporting what she has, um, and you know one of the things she says is. That it's it hasn't it hasn't always been hip to be a lesbian. Yeah, yeah she says uh, gay hasn't always been in fashion, my friend. Um, which you know, actually, Kathy improvised that. We Kathy had done two takes on the dock, um, and she was just. I, I just thought you know both of them. It was so nice. It really was one of those times of the movie that felt kind of really just so fun and special to watch. And Kathy had already done you know two takes. It's the middle of the night. And they were beautiful takes, and I was thinking, well, I think we're about there. And we had a guest writer there, my friend Damon Jones, and again, Rob Cowan was there, and Chris Henchy, these really smart people, were there, and they were like, oh, we, we um, you know, because I'm just looking at a monitor on a dock, and I'm thinking, great, we're done. And they th- they came up with the idea, 
of, you know, saying like, couldn't we go even a little farther of like, you know, not just you don't do this, you're so bad at this, you know, you could, I, one of them said the line, do you think this house just fell on my head? Like I had to work and that was all we really said. And then Kathy goes, Ooh, 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 I got it. Okay. And so we, you know, stopped cause she was kind of in a, a good spot. So we just rolled the cameras and then, um, that particular line you're talking about, she, uh, she improvised from that sort of idea. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. I think in all the filming, it was it was all so fun and great. But there was something, I don't know, almost mystical about shooting that scene with her. She is uh, she is someone that when she summons her powers, uh, kind of rips through your chest. If you're on the receiving end of it, I feel like rips through your chest like a lightning bolt. And I felt it that night, and it was it was really pretty special. And there were. A lot of uh, the crew, after we shot that scene, you know, guys that have been doing this for 20, 30 years, I saw come up to her and say, you know, thank you, Miss Bates, for letting me kind of be a part of that. And I think everybody just felt like we had just seen exactly why she's Kathy Bates. Yeah, you got to see just such a great performer, like, at the top of their powers, you know. So that was a really kind of a gratifying time. It strikes me that the two of you are are folks who— uh, have have worked hard and especially with success coming to you as as like real grown up adults. Yeah. Um, to be to be grateful for the things that have come to you. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I don't think a a minute, let alone, certainly not a day, went by of the of while we were shooting it, and kind of every day since that we, you know, Ben and I haven't kind of looked at each other and just said, you know, look at what is happening. Like, what, look at look what, who we're standing here with and look what we're getting to do. I mean, you know, we worked for 20, 25 years to, to have, you know, to have a little shot at this. And so to be able to be able to make our own movie just is, it's a dream. And it was a double whammy because the people that we worked with were so, so nice. And that goes from, you know, the crew, they were all so great. And then the cast that we worked with, you know, because you, you, you hear good things about people and, um, but then, you know, from everybody there, you know, Gary and Mark and obviously Susan and Kathy, and you just have these amazing people, uh, Allison Janney is a good friend of ours. You know, just to get a chance to work with these really nice people, I mean, it's impossible not to feel grateful for that kind of experience, you know? Well, I sure appreciate you guys taking the time to be on Bullseye. It was great to get to talk to you. Oh, you too. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Fun. Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone from 2014. If you haven't seen Tammy, their movie from way back then, it is funny and sweet, worth a watch. Their latest is Thunder Force. It also stars Octavia Spencer. You can stream it now on Netflix. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where Abel Arias sent his mom looking for that cassette tape of our interview with Black Alicious when we were 19. Um, they couldn't quite find it, but I'm, I'm grateful to him and Mrs. Arias for uh, looking to find it. So thank you very much. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. We have help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. 
Their new record, Get Up Sequences Part 1, is out now. You can buy it on a sweet colored vinyl. You can get it on your digital platforms. You definitely should go grab it because the Go team are just the jamminest, joyfulest thing in the world. You can keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, where we post all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.